Hey guys, check out Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0, brought to you by Mama Jumbo Shrimp, a fully updated second edition, reviewed and revised by an expert panel of certified Italian wine ambassadors from across the globe. The book also includes an edition by Professore Attilio Scienza, Italy's leading vine geneticist. To pick up a copy today, just head to Amazon.com or visit us at MamaJumboShrimp.com. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Listen in as we journey to some of Italy's most beautiful places in the company of those who know them best, the families who grow grapes and make fabulous wines. Through their stories, we will learn not just about their wines, but also about their ways of life, the local and regional foods and specialities that pair naturally with their wines, and the most beautiful places to visit. We have a wonderful journey of discovery ahead of us, and I hope you will join me. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen on Italian Wine Podcast. Today we travel to Italy's deep south, to Puglia, and in particular to the area known as the Murgia, to meet my guest, Sebastiano De Corato of the Rivera Winery. Buongiorno, Sebastiano. Many thanks for being my guest today. How are you? Buongiorno, and thanks for inviting me. I'm, I'm very well, thanks. Oh, that's great. Sebastiano, we met at Vinitali, Italy's largest and most important gathering of the Italian wine world, bringing together producers, buyers, journalists, everyone involved in Italian wine. It's vast and exhausting, but it's such an important point of reference for the Italian wine world. How was your vin Italy? Oh, it was uh, it was great. Uh, in a way, it was the first uh, full full time vin Italy after the pandemic. Uh, so it was also a great chance to meet some people we had, hadn't seen for for some time, especially our importers from from so all the different export markets. Yes, of course, it it, it did have that um, sense of. Um, excitement again i'd missed vin italy as well so it was uh, it was nice to be able to come back and 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 see that whole italian wine world again i hope it was uh, useful commercially as well yes but we will see results in the coming months <laughs> of course now sebastiano you're far away from verona now take us to your world to the merge out can you describe where you are what the terroir is like what the countryside is like is the sun shining, and are your vines coming back to life now? Well, yes. Uh, so we are in Puglia, but Puglia is a very large uh, region and concept. <laughs> it's uh, Puglia corresponds to very easy to locate, corresponds to the hill of the booth. So, like a hill, or actually like a stiletto, is a very long and narrow region. And so it can also be considered a region that encompasses a number of, of sub-regions. Uh, the Murgia is the name of uh, a range of hills, which is the most ancient part of, of Puglia, that starts, uh, let's say, at one-third of the length of Puglia and covers the middle third of, of Puglia. Uh, I hope I can give uh, an image that people can can uh, can see in the in their minds so Puglia Murgia is this uh, range of hills in the in the middle part of 
of Puglia, some 20, 30 kilometers away from the sea, and that goes quite a- along the coast of Puglia. Puglia has uh, its orientation is not north to south, but is northwest to southeast, uh, and this is the same uh, same direction that uh, Murgia has. I was mentioning that Puglia, uh, Murgia is the most ancient part of Puglia, but I will say of the whole uh, uh, southern Italy before uh, uh, lands uh, emerged, uh, Pul- uh, Murgia was uh, like a, an island. It was a rocky island because Murgia is uh, like a, a massive uh, rock, uh, 200 kilometers long, very, very ancient that has been uh, uh, modeled by, by wind and, and rain uh, into like a very kind of soft hills. You could even call it a, a high plain with an average altitude of 400 meters. So that is the highest uh, with peaks up to 500, 500 uh, 550 meters, so you could say it's the highest part of Puglia. In the northern part of the Murgia Hills, what it is called Alta Murgia, so the High Murgia, the the landscape is very rugged and, and desertic because, as I said, this is a, a rocky massive. There is very little soil, and uh, there are no no cities, no towns on the Murgia Hills. All the, all the cities in this area are down between the Murgia and the sea. There is a stretch of some 20, 30 kilometers. So it's where all the cities are uh, located. But again, on the Murgia Hills, there's uh, not much growing, but wheat and vineyards. And in the, in the highest hill of uh, the Murgia Hills, you, you can see from very far away a strange... Uh, a strange building, uh, which actually is Castel del Monte. Castel del Monte is one of the symbols of Puglia, is in the UNESCO World Heritage List. And as the name says, it, it is a castle built on the top of a mountain. This is uh, a very, very unique place. It was uh, built by Frederick II. He was uh, emperor of the Holy Roman Empire back in 13th century. The Holy Roman Empire, it was the, the, let's say the empire founded by Charlemagne in 800. And actually, its heart was in, actually in Germany. So it was a kind of a pan-European empire, also including northern Italy and southern Italy, but not the central part of Italy because that was uh, ruled by, by the popes. And uh, Frederick II was a German of German origins, but he loved... Uh, I guess he loved the sun, the, the food, and hopefully the wine of Puglia. It was Most of his life, he, he was living actually in Puglia, where he built many, many castles. Every city in Puglia has a castle built by Frederick II. But those are, let's say, normal standard castles for defense, like square with square towers. Only Castel del Monte is the very, very unique because it's built in the middle of, it is today in the middle of nowhere, uh, 20 kilometers from the nearest city. Uh, but ima- so let, let us imagine uh, 800, uh, 900 years ago. Uh, but it was uh, more than a castle. It's like a symbol. It's, it's the symbol of the imperial power. And this is one of the reasons why it is built in the perfect octagonal shape, because the octagon was a very important uh, eight and the octagon was a very important number and shape. Imagine that the imperial crown was... Uh, uh, octagonal, like because eight was the number of perfection, the number of God. So uh, 
had a powerful meaning and it's like this this emperor placed this uh, stone crown on the top of uh, of the hill so that everybody could see his power and we have also to think that at, at those times there was a, a con a continuous clash of power between the, the Pope, so the spiritual uh, power, trying to be also temporal, and, and the emperors. And uh, Frederick II had many, many quarrels with the, with the different popes. So it's a very, very interesting history. Very interesting, Sebastiano. And of course, uh, Frederick II designed Castel del Monte himself. He had many talents. He was uh, a great thinker, almost a precursor of the Renaissance man, would you say? He had so many interests. He spoke many languages. He wrote poetry. He wrote about falconry, which we'll perhaps speak about in a minute. But also, he was an architect, and he actually designed the Castel del Monte. Yeah, you're absolutely right. He was uh, it's probably one of the greatest characters in uh, medieval history. Uh, and as you said, he was uh, at least two centuries uh, uh, ahead. Because at the times, uh, most emperors were like mostly warriors, but he, he was... Uh, a, held uh, in great value uh, culture. He, he founded in, uh, the first uh, public university in Europe and probably the world in, in Salerno. And as you said, he spoke, he loved other, other cultures. This was very, very unusual at the time, including Muslim culture. And th those were the times of the Crusades. So when, when the Muslims were uh, the enemies, yet they, every good emperor had to uh, reconquer Jerusalem, uh, organize a crusade, and actually, uh, this is a very nice story. Frederick II was the only crusade emperor and crusade leader who was able to enter Jerusalem without fighting. Because when he camped outside of Jerusalem, he wrote a letter in Arabic, because he could speak and write in Arabic to, to the, the head of the Muslims in, in Jerusalem, uh, who actually invited him to come in. And they signed a treaty so that the Christians could, without any danger, Get in, get inside Jerusalem and uh, and go to their holy places and, and pray. The other funny part was that the Pope, instead of being happy, he was very very unhappy because there was no no fighting. So he has communicated uh, Frederick II for this. That was a very very kind of funny story. Not not so funny for Frederick because he had uh, uprisings in uh, in his uh, empire when he was away. So he had to fight his way back to, to power. I think he was excommunicated more than once, wasn't he? Yeah, the first time because he was uh, delaying too much the organization of the crusade. Of the crusade. Then when he finally made it, the, the Pope was not impressed or not happy, not with the results, but the way the results were achieved. Now, I would imagine, uh, in fact, Frederick also had a great interest in wine. I think at Castel de Monte, he introduced grape varieties into the vineyards there. And, and also, there are, is documentation of particular wines that he had placed orders for, I think, from Chiro, from, from um, the Galliopo grape. And of course, he loved Montefalco. So there are a lot of connections with wine. But let's turn now to the story of wine in Castel del Monte, which is also the name of the DOC and the DOCG, and in particular to the story of the Rivera winery. Uh, yes, yes, absolutely. Well, Castel del Monte uh, area, and now now it's, uh, as you say, DOC and DOCG has a long uh, history in uh, 
viticulture and wine production. Uh, also, it is uh, interesting that um, besides most uh, other Apulian wine growing regions being focused in red wine production and also a little bit of rosé, Castellamonte is... Uh, uh, has been traditionally producing white white wines, rosé wines, and red and uh, red wines in uh, equal parts. So uh, it's a very very balanced production by by tradition, and this is because of the I guess because of the elevation, because it has, it allows uh, grapes to ripen in a slower, more more slowly. And, and if you think about white wines, that is quite important to retain acidity. Also, the varietals of Castel del Monte, the indigenous varietals of Castel del Monte, they are all quite late ripening varietals. Uh, and I will mention now the, the, the most important indigenous varietals, which are Bombino Bianco, as Bianco, uh, as the name says, it's a, of course a, a white grape varietal for white. Uh, Bombino Nero, in a way it's uh, related, to, it's related, of course, to Bombino Bianco, but it's black. Uh, but not that black, so it is uh, a varietal that is exclusively used for rosé wine production. Casa del Monte has a very old tradition of rosé wine production, and it's uh, home of the first Italian rosé wine DOCG that was granted in uh, 2011. And, of course, uh, red wines mainly produced with the indigenous varietal Nero di Troia, which is the most important uh, indigenous grape varietal of, of the whole of northern Puglia uh, and very specifically of Castel del Monte Appellation. So viticulturally, uh, the area has a lot to offer uh, to wine producers. But what is what is quite important that all those wines have a really uh, northern touch. They are a bit different from what people expect from Puglia. Uh, if people know uh, from Puglia, they typically will know uh, varietals from the south, so Primitivo or Negramaro. Those are really southern varietals, uh, early ripening and, and uh, making wines which are very, very concentrated, rich, um, also with uh, quite a high alcohol content uh, on the opposite in, uh, in Castel del Monte. All the varieties, as I said, uh, something in common, the late ripening, uh, high acidity for whites and, and for reds for rosé, so bombino nero, and uh, firm tannins uh, because for nero di Troia as uh, all late ripening varietals and very, very uh, moderate uh, alcohol content. The, let's say even in uh, reserve version, nero di Troia will... Uh, would be in between 13.5 and, and 14% in alcohol. Uh, I would say only <laughs> if you compare it with Primitivo, where alcohol content could go uh, as high as 16 or 17%. So it's a quite different uh, style of wines, uh, focusing on less, less power and, and fruit richness, but more uh, uh, on elegance and length on the, on the palate and as we are talking about red wines, uh, aging potential, which is uh, surprising. Okay, so I think that's very important um, distinction you've made, Sebastiano, to help our listeners understand that the Salento, this uh, stiletto heel, as you described it, that comes down at the bottom of the Italian boot, uh, is a very different world completely from uh, the Alta Morgia 
um, with these limestone hills, a very rocky, stony soil, and uh, the elevation, of course, for the Salentos, relatively flat, isn't it? And we're uh, here yes. now right. three, four hundred meters. So these are factors that really make a, a real distinction, but also the grape varieties you've mentioned, uh, which I think for our listeners as well are perhaps less well known. You know, we're not familiar with Bombino or indeed Nero di Troia is less um, readily available. Is that because there, it's a smaller area, fewer producers? Uh, Yes, there are fewer um, producers for sure. If you put together all the producers of Salento, it's maybe 80% of the Apulian wine producers are located in Salento. Uh, the rest will be located in, on, uh, in the central northern part, which is Casta del Monte, but also the, the other appellations in the province of Foggia, which is the northernmost uh, area of yeah. Also, uh, I would say that these varietals are not so well known because the single varietal wine concept was only developed around the year 2000, because the, uh, especially for Bombino Bianco and Nero di Troia. Mm, let's say that the, the tradition for the area is to blend, was to blend those varietals with a, a complementary varietal. This was a, a way that ancient growers uh, would, uh, in a way, correct or cover uh, let's say flaws or uh, of uh, of their main grape varietal. For example, I was mentioned the acidity of Bombino Bianco. This uh, in the past was considered uh, an issue, having a too acidic uh, wine. Now, now we we know how to handle the acidity uh, and how to make it uh, an advantage point. So freshness in wines, but at, at the time it was seen as a, as a problem to be solved and. Uh, in the old times, solving such enological problems was, was impossible in wineries. So this was done in the vineyards. So by, by blending and, and doing uh, what, what we would call a field blend, so planting more than one varietal in the same vineyard, for example, for Bombino Bianco with a local low acidity varietal called Pampanuto, as well as for Nero di Troia, where... For Nero di Troia, the, the tannins, the, the, the firm tannins uh, from the very thick skin of the varietal was, was seen as a problem. There was, uh, I mean, winemaking was very, very simple. Now we have many ways, technology and knowledge and, and, and um, equipment uh, so that we can do better macerations and, uh, uh, and uh, achieve softer tannins. Uh, but at the time it was that was impossible. So the best solution was to blend Nero di Troia with a Montepulciano. Uh, Montepulciano is a much more famous varietal for sure. Most people uh, associate it uh, correctly to Abruzzo, but actually Montepulciano is cultivated traditionally cultivated on uh, the whole Adriatic coast from market regions so from central Italy down to Puglia. And in Puglia, growers learn to blend Montepulciano. Uh, to Nero Idroia to uh, soften the, the wine. So uh, field blends uh, were, were made with uh, planting one row of Montepulciano every two rows of Nero di Troia. This is something we don't do anymore. We, do, we cultivate specific, like 100% varietal uh, vineyards, and, but we keep uh, doing this blend in our uh, flagship wine, Il Falcone. Italian Wine Podcast. If you think you love wine as much as we do, then give us a like and a follow anywhere you get your pods. 
Well, let's talk about Il Falcone because this again links us back to Frederick II, to Castel del Monte, but it's long been, uh, the Rivera Il Falcone has long been considered one of the great red wines of, of not just Puglia, but of all of Italy. So it's been a wine your family have been making uh, a long time. It's a wine that I've enjoyed on uh, many occasions, and I was uh, gr- great to taste it again in Verona. So it's a it's an important flagship crew wine for you. Absolutely, I, I, I have to mention this uh, that the winery was uh, a little history of the winery. It was founded by my grandfather Sebastiano, so bringing his name as the in, uh, full Italian tradition. In nineteen fifty was the first uh, official vintage of Rivera. Um, my grandfather was at the time a Puglian wine was not on the on the wine map um it were apulia has always been producing a lot of uh, wine but it was all all used as a bulk wine so sent up to be blended uh, so there was not no fine wine and that was the goal yes yes <laughs> i don't want to say where but it was sent north uh, to be blended and, and to give uh, alcohol and, and concentration to uh, uh, to weaker wines from the north so the goal of my grandfather was to create a uh, not only to produce fine wines, but to create a brand from Puglia, and that brand was was Rivera. And so he started making the traditional wines, white, rosé, and red, and especially a red wine, which he called Stravecchio, Rivera Stravecchio, uh, from the, those field plants of Nero di Troia and, and Montepulciano. That wine had a great personality. Then in 1971, this was the father of Il Falcone. So... Il Falcone was born officially in 90, from 1971 vintage, so after more than 20 vintages, because that was the year Castel del Monte Appellation was created. Oh, okay. At the time, my father had just joined uh, my grandfather in the, in the, at the winery, so probably he br- brought uh, new ideas, some new marketing ideas, so they, <laughs> they thought that this wine it, the, had such a personality, it deserved to have a, a story. Uh, storytelling, as we say today. <laughs> uh, and, uh, of course, uh, uh, thinking of Cast- of, of uh, Frederick II and his passion with falconry, and probably the fact that uh, uh, at the time those type of wines, of, of uh, fine red wines, reserve wines, were, uh, were said to be uh, uh, nicely matched to game, so uh, even if there's not much game in, in, in Puglia but, uh, anymore, but then I, I guess the association with the hunting, with falconry and game, so the idea came up uh, uh, to, to call uh, the winery, uh, the wine Il Falcone. So Il Falcone was born. Yeah, and since then, it has been uh, a wine that really represents the style of, of uh, Rivera, of, of, of the winery. Uh, and for sure, it was the first fine, age-worthy red wine made, made in Puglia, with a name, uh, in, in a way, going beyond the appellation. And uh, since then, then, success has been very, very... We have had great success with the wine. You produce another special crew wine that also references Frederick II, Pur Apuliae. Mm-hmm. Is that pronounced correctly? Almost. <laughs> Almost, okay. I know that the, the name is a little difficult. So, Pur Apulie. Apulie, okay. Because the, the last two words are A and E, and in 
that is th- those are Latin words, and in Latin A and E are, are read E. Okay. You, you just don't pronounce the A. Okay. Uh, what does these uh, two words mean? The puer means son. And Apulia means of Puglia. So Puer Apulia means son of Puglia. This was uh, uh, the nickname, one of the nicknames of Frederick II. The other one was Stupor Mundi, so wonder of the world. But uh, Puer Apulia at the beginning, it was uh, not an, used as a nice nickname or, or, or appellative because this was given by the uh, German feudal lords, barons, who didn't like the fact that Frederick was never in Germany was only on vacation <laughs> in Puglia. So they started calling him son of Puglia uh, because he was a, when he was a young emperor, but I guess he, he took pride of it. And uh, when we created this new wine, and this was the first ever 100% Nero di Troia Reserva being released in 2002, uh, vintage was 2000, we, we thought it was the to use this this uh, name which uh, uh, again not easy to pronounce but with a very very powerful meaning yes and a powerful wine a beautiful wine i really enjoyed tasting that with you quite different from il falcone perhaps a, a more lean elegant style the tannins um certainly there uh it didn't have the the roundness that montipulciano gives you falcone but it had a uh, a sort of majestic quality that I think is quite fitting for uh, the reference to Frederick. Thank you. Thank you for the comment. What what we, in a way, we imagine that we have been vinifying uh, Nero di Troia and blending it with Montepulciano for 50, 50 vintages. Then after 50 vintages, we finally deti- decided it was time and we had finally made the, the let's say, the advancement in uh, when making, so that we will find uh, we're fin- uh, finally able to bottle Nero di Troia uh, by itself without the, any help from from Montepulciano, and um, and then we ourselves discovered the beauty of Nero di Troia because Montepulciano is pretty neutral. is a great varietal also be in blending, but also because it's neutral, doesn't cover the character uh, of the. Uh, other varietal, but of course it dilutes some of their um, characteristics. So in Pura Puglia we have one f- full characteristics of uh, um, of Nero di Troia. Uh, I, I realize I only mentioned or mostly mentioned the the, the, the firm tannins, but Nero di Troia. What is was, what is the beauty of Nero, of Nero di Troia? Is the aromas, uh, where most varietals from southern uh, areas tend to be. Uh, have a very concentrated preserved dark fruit. Uh, Nero di Troia has uh, uh, only like gives you uh, hints of very uh, fresh forest fruit like blueberries, so acid acid type of, of black dark fruit, and also floral notes. This is very this is what is very special. Floral notes of what people recognize often is violet, which is a very delicate type of, uh, of floral uh, note, and a little herbal. So, so it is not only a big fruity Apulian red wine. It has um, a range of, uh, of aromas, again, from, from fruity to floral and to herbal, which makes it uh, very elegant and, uh, in a way, a little bit... Uh, uh, restrained if, if you compare it again with Primitivo, which uh, 
is so important. Yes, yes. I think it is that restraint that makes your wine so beautiful. They stand alongside the other great wines at of Italy that have that elegance from the north, uh, Barolos, to the great wines of Tuscany. And uh, I think the the Pura Puglier and Falcone, both are wines with this with this uh, leaner style that is really, really beautiful. Yeah, Sebastiano, um, just a few final questions because we need to wrap things up here. Uh, if visitors are coming to the to the merger to your area of Puglia, is there one dish or food that they must try to sample? Well, first of all, very few people, everybody knows burrata. It's, uh, it has become a standard in all Italian restaurants and beyond. Mm-hmm. Well, not many people know that bur- burrata was invented in Andria, so our, our town. Also, Andria. Okay. It's uh, the biggest extra virgin olive oil producing town in Italy and in Europe and probably the world. My, these great, big, beautiful olive trees that have been suffering, but which are enormous and centuries old. Mm, yeah. Uh, so it, uh, Puglia and this part of Puglia is a, is a big uh, agriculture uh, tradition. Also, the Murja Hills, besides being... Uh, very difficult to cultivate. They offer a wide range of edible herbs that are used in in uh, in, in Apulian country cuisine. Uh, so the, the cuisine here is uh, really uses a lot of uh, uh, vegetables, especially of course in winter time because our green season is winter time. Uh, Summer time is too dry, so everything becomes yellow. Uh, so relating. Uh, to, uh, to the use of, of greens and, and vegetables in our cuisine. Uh, probably the most famous dish from, from this area is orecchiette pasta. Orecchiette is now, nowadays is quite famous. It's, it is ear-shaped and made uh, fresh pasta with cime di rape. Cime di rape is a vegetable uh, of kale, uh, it's, um, it looks like broccoli. In fact, in the, in, for example, in, in some markets, I, I found them in the U.S., they call, it, they call them broccoli wrapper, but it, it's not really broccoli, okay. but it looks like a broccoli with leaves, and it has a little bitterish aroma, sort of a bitterish uh, taste, and that is uh, uh, boiled with the pasta and then sautéed uh, with, of course, uh, extra virgin olive oil, um, Garlic and anchovies. Okay, and anchovies. Add a, another touch of, of, of bitterish taste, which makes it very, very interesting. And maybe a little pepperoncino? And pepperoncino, if you like, of course. <laughs> Final question, Sebastiano. Our listeners, if they should find themselves uh, or making a visit into the merger, can they visit the Rivera Winery? Absolutely. Uh, actually, we are also very, very easy to access to the, to the winery because we are only five kilometers from uh, Autostrada exit in Canosa. We host uh, visits. Um, I mean, we've always believed in uh, in uh, opening our winery, winery to visitors. I've been, uh, we've been uh, founders as a winery of Movimento Turismo del Vino. I've been myself president of Apulian uh, Movimento Turismo del Vino for, for uh, six years, and I'm currently uh, vice president of the National Association. So 
they're open. <laughs> Great. Well, that's that's good to know. And I and what I think is important for our listeners to know as well is that at the Rivera Winery, as in so many Italian wineries, wine is something that is really intimately linked to culture, to history, to identity as well. Absolutely, Sebastiano. It's been a it's been a real pleasure. It was a pleasure meeting in Verona, and a real pleasure speaking with you again this morning. Thank you very much for being my guest today. Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much, and thank you uh, all the listeners. Thank you, and I hope to meet again soon. Grazie, buona giornata. Ciao, ciao, ciao. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, chi-chi.